Chapter One of the Yellow Dove by George Gibbs. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tony Oliva. Sheltered People. Lady Betty Heathcote had a reputation in which she took pride for giving successful dinners in a neighborhood where successful dinners were a rule rather than an exception. Her prescription was simple and consisted solely in compounding her social elements by strenuous mixing. She had a faculty for discovering cubs with incipient manes and saw them safely grown without mishap. At her house in Park Lane, politics, art, literature, and science rubbed elbows. Here pictures had been born, plays had had their real premieres, novels had been devised, and poems without number, not a few of which were indicted to my lady Betty's eyebrow, here first saw the light of day. For all her dynamic energy in a variety of causes, most of them wise, all of them altruistic, Lady Betty had the rare faculty of knowing when to be restful. Tired cabinet ministers, overworked lords of the admiralty, leaders in all parties, knew that in Park Lane there would be no questions asked, which it would not be possible to answer, that there was always an excellent dinner to be had without frills, a lounge in a quiet room, or, indeed, a pair of pajamas and a bed if necessary. But since the desperate character of the war with Germany had been driven home into the hearts of the people of London, a change had taken place in the complexion of many private entertainments, and the same serious air, which was to be noted in the mien of well-informed people of all classes upon the street, was reflected in the faces of her guests. Her scientists were engrossed with utilitarian problems. Her literary men were sending vivid word pictures of ruined Reims and Louvain to their brothers across the Atlantic. And her cabinet ministers conversed less than usual, addressing themselves with greater particularity to her roasts or her spare bedrooms. Torn between many duties, as patroness to bazaars, as head of a variety of sewing guilds, as president of the new Association for the Training and Equipment of Nurses, Lady Heathcote herself showed signs of the wear and tear of an extraordinary situation, but she managed to meet it squarely by using every ounce of her abundant energy and every faculty of her resourceful mind. Many secrets were hers, both political and departmental, but she kept them nobly, aware that she lived in parlous times, when an unconsidered word might do a damage irreparable. Agents of the enemy she knew had been discovered in every walk of life, and while she lived in London's innermost circle, she knew that even her own house might not have been immune from visitors whose secret motives were open to question. It was, therefore, with the desire 
to reassure herself as to the unadulterated loyalty of her intimates that she had carefully scrutinized her dinner lists eliminating all uncertain quantities through whom or by whom the unreserved character of the conversation across her board might in any way be jeopardized so it was that tonight's dinner-table had something of the complexion of a family party in which john rizzio the bright particular star in london's firmament of art was to lend his effulgence john rizzio dean of collectors whose wonderful house in berkeley square rivaled the british museum and the wallace collection combined an italian by birth an englishman by adoption who because of his public benefactions had been offered a knighthood and had refused it john rizzio who had been an intimate of king edward a friend of cabinet ministers who knew as much about the inner workings of the government as majesty itself long a member of lady heathcote's circle it had been her custom to give him a dinner on the anniversary of the day of the acquisition of the most famous picture in his collection the coningsby venus which had before the death of the old earl been the aim of collectors throughout the world as usual the selection of her guests had been left to rizzio whose variety of taste and friendships could have been no better shown than in the company which now graced lady heathcote's table the earl and countess of kipshaven the one artistic the other literary their daughter the honorable jacqueline morley captain byfield a retired cavalry officer now on special duty at the war office lady joyliffe who had lost her earl at mons an interesting widow the bud of whose new affections was already emerging from her weeds john sandys undersecretary for foreign affairs the object of those affections miss doris mather daughter of the american cotton king who was known for doing unusual things not the least of which was her recent refusal of the hand of john rizzio one of london's catches and the acceptance of that of the honorable cyril hammersley the last to be mentioned member of this distinguished company gentleman sportsman and man about town who as everybody knew would never set the world afire no one knew how this miracle had happened for doris mather's brains were above the ordinary she had a discriminating taste in books and a knowledge of pictures and just before dinner upstairs in a burst of confidence she had given her surprised hostess an idea of what a man should be he should be clever betty she sighed a worker a dreamer of great dreams a firebrand in every good cause a patriot willing to fight to the last drop of his blood lady betty's laughter disconcerted her and she paused 
and that is why you chose the honorable cyril miss mather compressed her lips and frowned at her image in the mirror don't be nasty betty i couldn't marry a man as old as john rizzio lady betty only laughed again forgive me dear but it really is most curious i wouldn't laugh if you hadn't been so careful to describe to me all the virtues that cyril hasn't doris powdered the end of her nose thoughtfully i suppose they're all a myth men like that they simply don't exist that's all lady betty pinned a final jewel on her bodice i'm sure john rizzio's flattered at your choice cyril is an old dear but to marry i'd as soon take the automatic chess player why are you going to marry cyril doris she asked a long pause and more powder i'm not sure that i am i don't even know why i thought impossible i think it's the feeling of the potter for his clay something might be made of him he seems so helpless somehow men of his sort always are i'd like to mother him besides and she flashed around on her hostess brightly he does sit a horse like a centaur he's also an excellent shot a good chauffeur a tolerable dancer and the best bat in england all agreeable talents in a gentleman of fashion but er uh, hardly <laughs> lady betty burst into laughter good lord doris cyril a firebrand doris mather eyed her hostess reproachfully and moved toward the door into the hallway come betty she said with some dignity are you ready to go down all of which goes to show that matches are not made in heaven and that the motives of young women in making important decisions are actuated by the most unimportant details hammersley's good fortune was still a secret except to miss mather's most intimate friends but the conviction was slowly growing in the mind of the girl that unless cyril stopped sitting around in tweeds when everybody else was getting into khaki the engagement would never be announced as the foreign situation had grown more serious she had seen other men who weighed less than cyril throw off the boredom of their london habits and go soldiering into france but the desperate need of his country for able-bodied men had apparently made no impression upon the placid mind of the honorable cyril it was as unruffled as a highland lake in mid-august he had contributed liberally from his large means to lady heathcote's ambulance fund but his manner had become if anything more bored than ever miss mather entered the drawing-room thoughtfully with the helpless feeling of one who having made a mistake pauses between the alternatives of tenacity and recantation and yet as soon as she saw him a little tremor of pleasure passed over her 
in spite of his drooping pose his vacant stare his obvious inadequacy she was sure there was something about cyril hammersley that made him beyond doubt the most distinguished-looking person in the room not even excepting rizzio he came over to her at once the monocle dropping from his eye awfully glad jolly good to see you my dear handsome no end he took her hand and bent over her fingers such a broad back he had such a finely shaped head such shoulders such strong hands that were capable of so much but had achieved so little and were these all that she could have seen in him reason told her that it was her mind that demanded a mate could it be that she was in love with a beautiful body there was something pathetic in the way he looked at her she felt very sorry for him but betty heathcote's laughter was still ringing in her ears thanks cyril she said coolly i've wanted to see you tonight to tell you that at last i volunteered with the red cross hammersley peered at her blankly and then with a contortion set his eyeglass red cross you oh i see now doris that's going it rather thick on a chap it's true father's fitting out an ambulance corps and has promised to let me go john rizzio tall urbane dark and cynical who had joined them heard her last words and broke into a shrug it's the khaki hammersley the women will follow it to the ends of the earth broadcloth and tweeds are not the fashion he ran his arm through hammersley's there's nothing for you and me but to volunteer the honorable cyril only stared at him blankly oh he said which as lady betty once expressed it was half the note of a jackass here the kipshavens arrived and their hostess signaled the advance upon the dinner-table one of the secrets of the success of lady heathcote's dinners was the size and shape of her table which seated no more than ten and was round her centerpieces were flat and her candelabra low so that any person at the table could see and converse with anyone else it was thus possible delicately to remind those who insisted on completely appropriating their dinner partners that private matters could be much more safely discussed in the many corners of the house designed for the purpose doris sat between rizzio and byfield hammersley with lady joyliffe just opposite and when rizzio announced the american girl's decision to go to france as soon as her training was completed she became the immediate center of interest that's neutrality of the right sort said kipshaven heartily i wish all of your countrymen felt as you do i think most of them do replied doris smiling slowly but you know 
you haven't always been nice to us there have been many times when we felt that as an older brother you treated us rather shabbily i'm heaping coals of fire you see touche said rizzio with a laugh i bear my head said the earl ashes to ashes from lady joyliffe kipshaven smiled once in england gray hairs were venerated even among the frivolous now he sighed they are only a reproach peccavi forgive me i wish i could set the clock back you'd go asked doris to-morrow said the old earl with enthusiasm miss mather glanced at hammersley who was enjoying his soup a puree he liked particularly but isn't there something you could do yes write for america for italy for sweden and holland for spain it's something but it isn't enough my fingers are itching for a sword the honorable cyril looked up pen mightier than sword he quoted vacuously and went on with his soup you don't really mean that hammersley said kipshaven amid smiles well rather drawled the other all silly rock fightin what's the use spoil my boar shootin in hisnassau no season at carlsbad no season anywhere everything the same winter summer you wouldn't think so if you were in the trenches my boy laughed byfield beastly happy i'm not said hammersley don't mind shootin pheasant or boar bad form shootin men not the sportin thing you know pottin a bird on the ground especially germans boches said the lady betty contemptuously she was inclined to be intolerant for her algae had already been mentioned in dispatches i don't understand you cyril hammersley regarded her gravely while constance joyliffe took up his cudgels you forget cyril's four years at heidelberg no i don't said their hostess warmly and i could almost believe cyril had german sympathies i have you know said hammersley calmly sniffing at the rim of his wine glass this is hardly the time to confess it said kipshaven dryly doris sat silent aware of a deep humiliation which seemed to envelop them both rizzio laughed and produced a clipping from punch hammersley is merely stoically peaceful listen and he read i was playing golf one day when the germans landed all our troops had run away and all our ships were stranded and the thought of england's shame nearly put me off my game amid the laughter the honorable cyril straightened silly stuff that he said quite seriously to put a fellow off his game and turning to lady joyliffe punch a bit brackish lately what cyril you're insular 
from lady heathcote no insulated said doris with a flash of the eyes rizzio laughed highly potential but uh, not dangerous why should he be he's your typical briton sport-loving calm and nerveless in the most exacting situations i was at lord's you know when hammersley made that winning run for marleybone two minutes to play every bowler they put up it's hardly a time for bats put in kipshaven dryly what we need is fast bowlers with rifles the object of these remarks sat serenely smiling blandly around the table but made no reply in the pause that followed sandys was heard in a half whisper to byfield what's this i hear of a leak at the war office captain byfield glanced down the table have you heard that yes at the club captain byfield touched the rim of his glass to his lips i've heard nothing of it what from a chorus information is getting out somewhere i violate no confidences in telling you the war office is perturbed how terrible said lady joyliffe and don't they suspect that's the worst of it the germans got wind of some of lord kitchener's plans and some of the admiralties which nobody knew but those very near the man at the top a spy in that circle unbelievable said kipshaven my authority is a man of importance fortunately no damage has been done the story goes that we're issuing false statements in certain channels to mislead the enemy and find the culprit but how does the news reach the germans asked rizzio no one knows by carrier to the coast and then by fast motorboat perhaps or by aeroplane it's very mysterious a huge taube yellow in color flying over the north sea between england and the continent has been sighted and reported by english vessels again and again and each flight has coincided with some unexpected move on the part of the enemy once it was seen just before the ride at falmouth again before the zeppelin visit to sandringham a yellow dove said lady kipshaven a bird of ill omen surely but how could such an aeroplane leave the shores of england without being remarked asked kipshaven oh laughed sandys answer me that and we have the solution of the problem a strict watch has been kept on the coasts and the government employees postmen police secret service men of every town and village from here to the shetlands are on the lookout but not a glimpse have they had of him not a sign of his arrival or departure but 
only last week he was reported by a destroyer flying toward the english coast most extraordinary from lady kipshaven it's a large machine asked rizzio larger than any aeroplane ever built in europe they saw curtis the american was building a thousand horsepower machine at ammonsport in the states this one must be at least as large as that but surely such a machine could not be hidden in england for any length of time without discovery it would seem so but there you are the main point is that he hasn't been discovered and that its pilot is here in england ready to fly across the sea with our military secrets when he gets them and him growled kipshaven quite audibly a sentiment which echoed so truly in the hearts of those present that it passed without comment the captain of a merchant steamer who saw it quite plainly reported that the power of the machine was simply amazing that it flew at about six thousand feet and was lost to sight in an incredible brief time in short my friends the yellow dove is one of the miracles of the day and its pilot one of its mysteries but our aviation men can they do nothing what chase rainbows where shall their voyage begin and where end he's over the north sea one minute and in belgium the next our troops in the trenches think he's a phantom they say even the bombs he drops are phantoms they are heard to explode but nobody has ever been hit by them what will the war office do sandy shrugged expressively what would you do shoot the beggar said the honorable cyril impassively shoot the moon sir roared the earl angrily it's no time for idiotic remarks if this story is true a danger hangs over england no wholesome britain here he glanced again at hammersley ought to go to sleep until this menace is discovered and destroyed the yellow dove is a cult said sandys like a witch on a broomstick a flying dutchman returned lady joyliffe there seems to be no joke about that said the earl End of chapter one